Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. <laughs> Welcome back. Buckeye Talk, Arizona style. Doug Marie, sorry, Wasserman, Bill Landis. We're here on Tuesday, day two in Phoenix. Today we talk to Clemson defensive players and Ohio State offensive players. We're going to talk to you guys about that, what was said. Uh, we saw Ohio State practice a little bit. The idea here is each day here in preparation of the Fiesta Bowl, the uh, Cleveland.com coverage team is going to bring you sort of – the news of the day and the discussion of that, there's some bulletin board material talk that we'll get to with what a Clemson defender said about JT Barrett. Um, so again, Doug Maurice, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Maurice, Bill Landis, at Bill Landis 25, Ari Wasserman, at Ari Wasserman. Um, what do we think of practice, guys? Did the Buckeyes look like a team that is sharp and focused and ready to win the national title based on the 10 minutes of sort of like stretching and field goal practice we saw? I thought Cam Johnson looked great. <clears throat> Best corner in the country. I don't know. It's like we weren't supposed to see stretching, and then all we saw was stretching. And we saw like 10 minutes of field goal, or not even five minutes of field goal. Um, I don't know. The thing that I have like actually have noticed, and you, and I don't remember 2014 because it was two years ago and a lot's happened since then. They seem like very loose to me, and I even got that vibe today in practice. It didn't seem like very... I don't know if regimented is the right word, but there there seems to be an aura of like Let's have some fun while we're doing this thing, like permeating throughout these preparations. And I got a little bit of that today. I don't know if you guys did or not. That's like the Gordon Bombay motto, right? Like from Mighty Ducks? The trilogy? Yeah. Let's just, you know, let's win, but don't forget to have fun. I don't know. My generation did not watch Mighty Ducks, so I don't know what you're talking about. Generation missed out. And that Doug's favorite thing in the world is using movie references that not everybody gets to describe your point. So sorry about that, man. Um, I don't know. I feel like. Every single time we've watched practice and it wasn't in fall camp, we watched the whole thing, it's all the same. They, I feel like their stretching routine has actually been the same for five years. There's been no... If it ain't broke, can you change? It, you know can you I mean? change your stretching routine? Um, I don't know, but I do see that. I think all these videos of like the Friday night or the uh, best Fridays in football and then like the coaches versus players videos that you were talking That's about. That's new, by the way. I asked Mike Weber about that and he said they never did that before this bowl practice. Um, he said they like have they found some things last year to like lighten the mood a little bit, but this coach is putting on pads and like doing pass blocking and stuff like that is, is a brand new thing that they didn't do before this bowl practice started. You know, and we were there to cover the last playoff run, and I don't know. Do you guys feel like it was any different from? I a, just, it's hard to remember. I don't know that I feel that it's much different. I think that they're promoting their football brand and the fun things or the cool things to promote. I don't think that necessarily means it wasn't happening in the past. It's just more out there because they've expanded their window into their social media. 
Okay, let's talk about who we talked to, what we thought. Uh, you guys both were Brent Venables, right? The Clemson yep. defensive coordinator who was named the best assistant coach in the country this year. What vibe did you get from him on how Clemson is going to go about trying to defend Ohio State? What is he worried about from the Ohio State offense? And um, did you get a general vibe, you think, from the Clemson defense that they think they have a pretty good shot? Can I just start by plugging our last podcast that we did on Monday about coaches who have it by saying, I think, and you all listen to that, which is why you're back for more, but if you hadn't listened to it, go back and listen to it. We talked about coaches in college football who have it, um, and I think he has it. He definitely has it. I was very impressed by it. I and mean, you guys covered the, the Orange Bowl a couple of years ago, and he was around then. But this is my first time um, being in a room with Brent Venables. I was very impressed. Um, he was he was interesting. He was he, he was um, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it. Not like detailed in, in what their plan is, but certainly like willing to to talk about some finer points of Ohio State's offense. I think more so than assistant coaches would be. Usually, they're kind of generic. And he's like describing like very intricate football things about like the read option and run pass options, and he's like mimicking JT Barrett's movements and the shotgun faking handoffs to Mike Weber. Um, he was very animated and very engaging, and, and seemed very concerned with every facet of Ohio State's offense, even the passing game. Despite the fact, you know, what we've seen being close to Ohio State, the passing game not being all that great. Um, he was very high on JT Barrett, very high on Curtis Samuel. Said that everything starts with Curtis Samuel and then moves out from there. Um, but the, Barrett and Samuel were the two guys most he talked about, and I think the idea of a triple threat running attack is what had him worried the most, and he described it uh, as being similar to playing against Georgia Tech and Georgia Tech's triple option, which I thought was an interesting comparison because we've joked before about how Ohio State looks like Navy sometimes and looked like Navy last year when they played here against Notre Dame. Brenton Venables, who's maybe the best defensive mind in the country or arguably one of them, See some of the same stuff, it seems like. So he, he's impressed with Ohio State's offense. Um, and I think that the triple option, if you want to call it that aspect of what they're doing with Barrett, Weber, and Samuel is, is concerning to him. So what, how are we to take that? If the Clemson defensive coordinator is comparing parts of Ohio State's offense to an offense that is designed to run the ball every play and throws it five times a game, what does that mean? Is that good? Does that mean Ohio State is great at running the ball? Or is there something in that that's... Not a great sign for Ohio State. I don't know. I guess if I'm Ohio State, I'd be a little concerned about that because that triple option suggests imbalance, like you said, like you don't, you're not throwing, and that's the thing that they've been striving for all year is offensive balance. And the numbers suggest that they have it, but I think if you broke it down into the bigger games, they don't have it. Um, but you can win that way. They won. Notre Dame was an awesome team, and maybe Notre Dame wasn't as good as Clemson and didn't have nearly as much to play for as these two teams have now, but... Ohio State beat Notre Dame last year running that offense, and they beat Michigan this year essentially running that kind of offense. So it's concerning, but it hasn't mattered all that much, and we've talked about this a lot. So you'd like to be able to throw the ball. I'm not so sure you have to. I sometimes feel like we're in our own – like we, we say this all the time, like we're in our own cocoon of like Ohio State struggling. And it's like, they struggled against Michigan, they almost lost to Michigan, they probably should have lost to Michigan, but like, was that like a, was that like beating Clemson, you think? Beating, was beating Michigan like beating Clemson? Like, I mean, is that like in the same realm? Because it's like, when you ask yourself the question of what can the previous games tell us about the future, 
Did they beat the best defense in the country that was a legit playoff team who just happened to make the playoff by doing it that way? And yeah. is it possible to do it again? I think, yeah. I mean, and for three and a half quarters of that game, they didn't beat Michigan's defense, and then they found a way to do it. But I think you can compare the two. Athlete to athlete, Michigan's defense is similar and probably better at some spots than, than Clemson's defense is. But Clemson's offense is a lot better than Michigan's offense. Right. And if Clemson's defense does to Ohio State for most of the game what Michigan's defense did to Ohio State for most of the game, you made this point in the last podcast, Ari. Mm-hmm. Michigan had 13 points, right, at that point when they should have had 28. Clemson's not going to have, have 13 20. points. They might not have 28. They might have 38. So if that happens, maybe Clemson's defense, I don't know if it's going to be a little bit better than Michigan's, a little bit worse than Michigan's. If it's similar to Michigan's, and the result of how that works out is the same, Ohio State loses. Because Clemson's offense is that much better. They're not going to win this game. Ohio State's not going to win this game. What was the score of the Michigan game? I can't remember. It went to overtime at what? Was it 30-27? That was double overtime. It went to overtime at 17-17. This game is not going to be 17-17. If Ohio State's offense is limited to 17 points in regulation, Ohio State loses. Correct, and, and one of those, I mean, one of the touchdowns was a defensive touchdown too. So, the offense had ten points and missed two field goals, and one of the touchdowns came because they got set up on the five yard line by an interception and a Jim Harbaugh throwing up the head. What do they have to score? What does Ohio State have to yeah, score? Twenty eight minimum. Yeah, I think that sounds. Like I good. think that's a fair number. Ohio State's defense limiting Clemson to four touchdowns would be, I think, a. Borderline great night for them. That's I mean, that's, that's a, we're talking about an NFL offense. I mean, this the the Alabama Clemson game last year was forty five forty. The Orange Bowl three years ago was a high scoring game. That was like I can't remember what it was like forty four thirty eight or something. The Orange Bowl, yeah. Um, so it's I think you know again we talked about Rayquan McMillan was offended at the idea of a shootout. I don't know that it's going to be in the forties for both teams. I think. High 20s, low 30s for both teams is where you have to start, at least. Here's my two questions. Again, we talked to Clemson defense, Ohio State offense. The toughest matchup for the Clemson defense is Curtis Samuel. What are they going to do with him? I know we had talked about the idea of are they going to maybe have a corner shadow Curtis Samuel and follow him around. Um, one of the guys I talked to said like he didn't want to get into details, but he said he thought they had a good plan for Curtis Samuel. Do you guys have... What did you feel like you got from how Clemson's going to deal with him? I spent a lot of time with Cordray. I don't know if it's Cordray or Cordrea, so I apologize if I'm saying his name wrong. Tankersley, who's the, the best cornerback on Clemson. And I asked him, and I wasn't the only one who asked him. He was asked different versions of the same question. Are you just going to shadow Curtis Samuel? Because he saw Jordan Lewis cover for Michigan cover Curtis Samuel a bit. Tankersley said he doesn't know. He says he'll definitely be matched up on him some. I asked him how often he's played in the slot this year, and he said he played in the slot against Florida State, and that was like really the only game where he had significant time playing there. He said he plays it a lot in practice, but he has been asked to do it a lot in games this year, but also said that he'd be comfortable doing it. So I would imagine that they're going to put him on Samuel quite often and make Ohio State's outside receivers show that they're capable of making plays against the lesser defensive backs on Clemson, which are who are still good, they're just maybe not quite as good as Tankersley. 
Um, but that would be my guess of what their plan would be, is that Tankerley is actually going to shadow him, if not every snap, most snaps. And then I think toughest matchup for the Ohio State offense against the Clemson defense, and we've talked about this before, is Christian Wilkins, All-American defensive end. Ari, I know you talked about this. We think that matchup is Christian Wilkins versus Isaiah Prince, the right tackle for Ohio State. How is Ohio State going to handle blocking him and dealing with that? I don't know how they're going to handle it, man. I, I really don't. I, I I didn't realize until I was writing the story on, uh, what's today, Monday or Tuesday? It's Tuesday. the days bef- between Christmas and New Year's, so you're not supposed to know what day of the week it is. My my wife told me this a couple years ago. She thought when she was a kid that the time between Christmas and New Year's, there weren't actually days. <laughs> it was like just like a free-flowing like it wasn't really on the calendar. <laughs> it's the purge. It was. It was just. Yeah, it was just yeah, free just, murder time. Yeah, no. <laughs> but it wasn't like a real time. Like it was just like you just kind of had. You just like reset yourself. Yeah. It's like Christmas. Just chill for some period of unencumbered time, and then boom, January first. I don't know what day it is. I don't know what planet we're on right now. But um, we were talking about it. You know, that was the main point of emphasis in the reporting that I did on. Uh, Monday or Tuesday, and uh, it's Tuesday. It's Tuesday <laughs> on Tuesday, and um, the thing about it is, is that he's going to be on an island. And when I was writing the story f- on it, um, he didn't do that well when he was on an island against Michigan. I mean, Taco well, Charlton had nine nine tackles and two and a half sacks against him in one game. We really think he's going to be on an island. I mean, because the the problem is, is that I mean, they might have some tight end help, right? But the tight end's their second-best receiver. Their tight end is not only their second-best receiver, but they also have two other, like, all-American candidate interior defensive linemen. Like, I don't know how many resources they can in helping double-team the edge when they've got those, when they got uh, Dexter Lawrence, who is a very familiar name because Ohio State wanted him very bad, um, and uh, Carlos, Carlos Watkins. Watkins, who has a very similar name. Um, and I just, like, I don't Bill's the resident offensive line expert, but, but like I don't. But what did you say? You thought Billy Price was very interesting on yeah, talking yeah. about how much better Isaiah Prince has gotten. Do yeah, you yeah. It? I, Do you believe them that he has gotten better? Sometimes Billy Price sounds like he's making a ton of excuses, and sometimes he sounds like, "Dude, you got to just you got to understand the reality of football." And I think that most of the time. He was basically just saying, look, you got a very talented, gifted, young player who is not going to be great immediately. And we've talked about it on this podcast a lot. There's been a lot of really good offensive linemen in this program who have struggled in their first year starting. Um, and, you know, it's possible that he is, um, you know, everybody says they turn the corner, but everybody says everybody turns a corner. You know, that's the way it works. I don't know if I would necessarily believe that Isaiah Prince is going to wake up on New Year's Eve and contain the end. Um the edge, but I, I think that I could buy that he has a new attitude, he has more confidence, he's feeling better about himself, he's coming in for extra work, and all the things that you, an offensive lineman, would have to do, because how much different can a player get in three weeks? Billy Price actually said a lot. He said when he was in the similar position two years ago in New Orleans that he got a lot better during ball practice. So Ohio State, you know, you can say it all you want, but if he hasn't, they're going to be in trouble. What did Ed Warner say when you were at- did you ask him like if he took some time to work with Prince? I did. And what was his answer? He said that he, him, and Greg Stujaro are very close, and um, you know they all work together, and you know he's given pointers and whatnot, and he says he oversees the entire offense, so he certainly checks in on the line. Um, but it was more of just like, hey, Isaiah's coming in, and 
and doing extra work and doing everything he can to get better. And it's just like it's hard because offensive line, more than anything, it's just are you strong enough to contain it? Like, you know, I guess I think it's a little bit of a different position where Curtis Samuel can run routes and get sharper routes and get faster and do certain things. But it's like either you can block somebody or you can't. And I don't know if the three weeks is enough time to change that. It's interesting, and I'm uh, often unaware of what's happening in the world. I didn't know that Christian Wilkins was only a sophomore. Yeah, well, neither did I. And so we're talking about Isaiah Prince as a sophomore. Mm-hmm. He's a young, Christian Wilkins is a sophomore, and he's a really interesting guy. Um, very confident, very personable. People were asking him about, like, next year you're going to be the face of the defense. And he's like, I'm all ready for that. I'm, I'm humbled by that idea, but I embrace it. Like, really polished, smart guy who, as we've also talked about, before today, before talking to him, all you knew is that he's a 300-pound defensive end. He is a very put-together guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he carries his weight really well, and you can see how he is big and how he would be athletic. And so um, you could just – it was just like an emphasis of like, yeah, he's a problem. Like they put three 300 – there's 900 pounds out of the three out of the four defensive linemen they put down, and he can move. And they're, well, Carl, Carlos Watkins, who's yeah. a 300-pound defensive tackle, played receiver in high school. <laughs> he was a 275-pound wide receiver. I mean, it is the thing we're talking about. Like, there are some unbelievable athletes on this team. The I get the idea though. of – Equal talent. There are some dudes, and I didn't know this. We knew that Dexter Lawrence, who's a freshman, right? Mm-hmm. A true, true freshman. True. Dexter Lawrence was a bit, a guy that Ohio State really recruited. Christian Wilkins, his final three, Ohio State was in his final three. He's from the Northeast. At least he went to prep school there. Um, he took a late official to Ohio State. He talked about Larry Johnson, and he did like Ohio State, but he just said he knew Clemson was the place for him. You know, so that... Um, that idea that Clemson beat Ohio State head to head for a kid who I don't th- is not like in Clemson's backyard, and he's and he's a all first team All American as a sophomore. That's what we're talking about with the talent level here. And there's a general idea or thought, and I might and I've been thinking about this today when you were telling me because I wasn't at Wilkins when he was talking about his recruitment, but. If you ask the Ohio State fan, the average Ohio State fan about Ohio State recruiting, they are frustrated with the inability to lack to land a dominant defensive tackle in ratings. And they have a few committed, Haskell Garrett of Las Vegas, Nevada, Bishop Gorman, and um, Jaron Cage from Cincinnati. They're two four-star kids, but like they want like the Dexter Lawrence was like the five-star yeah, the, the Marvin Wilson. Yeah, 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 and they in that, and it's possible that you could be looking at what Ohio State's future line could have been on Clemson, and it legitimately is like the strength of, of their Clemson's team. team, and not that Draymond Jones hasn't played well, not that Robert Landers hasn't played well, but imagine if you even just had one of those guys on the interior of this Ohio State defensive line. We know Ohio State has ends. We know when they go to the Rushman package on third down and they take Joey Bo- uh, Nick Bosa and Jalen Holmes, who are ends, and put them at tackle, they get four pass rushers in the game. But they don't have a 300-pound dude. Yeah, Their ends, the even that Wilkins is playing end, the, the, the Ohio State guys are, are the stand-up, more athletic pass rusher guys. They're not 310 pounds. Sam Hubbard's not 
310 pounds. Well, Sam even, Hubbard's 50 pounds higher than that. Even Draymond Jones, and he like and Adolphus Washington before him, it's like a converted end playing tackle who's crazy athletic and hard to block inside, but it's not an immovable object. Just 300 pounds squatting in the middle of the line, and you can't move him, and that guy's blowing up everyone. Yeah, it's like, it's a Vince Wilfork. Like, he's the prototype, right? And they don't, I think that's what they've been looking for and have yet to land, and they keep kind of change guys into it, but they haven't done it just just yet. And Ohio State does have a chance at one this year, and they're an underdog again. Yeah. Um, Who is it? Marvin Wilson of uh, Bel Air, uh, I don't know how to say it, Episcopal. Um, Texas. And he's a Texas lean. Five star. Five star, and, um, you know, that's, you know, I, they might not get him, but I feel like every year they're in late on a very good five-star defensive tackle and they go elsewhere. I was writing this exact story nine years ago when they were playing LSU in the national championship. Glenn Dorsey. And they had Glenn Dorsey, who was an All-American <laughs> individual award winner. And then also LSU got a guy back like from suspension that game who was the other defensive tackle, Ricky Jean Francois, yeah. who was like the MVP of that game. And it was like... They don't have guys like that, like two gigantic, nimble, athletic, versatile interior defensive linemen who just make your life a living and who's hell. Who's the best one that they've had in the time since? Hankins. I mean, Hank was a big. Di- that was like he was a three-star guy, but Jonathan Hankins yeah. out of Detroit. That was a big get for them, and he did turn into that guy. And we've. There's the play. I know you had the play in your head. The same play that I have yeah, in my head play. is Hank running down the line. Yeah. And, and sliding and going sideline to sideline and making a play. And, and it wasn't just, so much about him making the play as much as it was him celebrating after how he got up and went, woo, do you remember what I'm yeah, talking about? The woo, okay, yeah, the yeah. woo play. But so, that's that athleticism, both yeah. in the play and in the celebration. And I, can't, I can't think of another Ohio State interior defensive tackle who's had that. And it's, it's, uh, it's not easy to find those guys, but it's just such a difference of, and every football guy, pressure up the middle yeah. just blows up your whole world, man. And... That I think I I think it's one of these. Oftentimes I feel like tell me if you agree with this in bowls. A lot of times you think you have it nailed because just like the players have a month to prepare for this, we have a month to prepare. And I think by a lot of, a lot of times by the time you get to the bowl, you feel like you have it nailed how it's going to go, and then you're wrong. And I think it's possible that like we've talked a lot about Christian Wilkins, and I think maybe like Ohio State's going to figure out a way to block Christian Wilkins. And Dexter Lawrence and Carlos Watkins are going to ruin the game for Ohio State. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. or that there's something, or that I also think it's on the table. I mean, this is just like covering my butt on everything. We're talking so much about the passing game. The passing game has to get better, but whatever, whatever. That somehow Clemson like shuts down JT Barrett and Mike Weber in the run game, and JT Barrett throws. JT Barrett's like 34 for 43 for 321 yards, and they lose. You know what I mean? Like because I, they can't do their bread and butter, which is JT running. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, like I feel like that it's possible that I will eat you my get hat it wrong. If that happens, but I think you know that like <laughs> that would be crazy, or that, that Ohio State just comes out, or that Ohio State comes out and just has a twelve play drive to open the game, and nine of them are passes, and maybe they throw it like crazy and they win. You know, like I do think sometimes you don't see it coming, but I do think that interior of the Clemson defensive line. As much as Wilkins is awesome, and he is, but it's the depth across the board, right? It's not – because like you're yeah. saying, it's yeah. not like they could just say we're literally going to double-team Wilkins every play because Watkins and Lawrence and the rest of the line would Can't kill you, it. right? Yeah. Unless you like – unless you just think that – and it's not as simple as this, but if you think Pat Alfine and Billy Price are more often than not going to hold their own against those two guys, then I guess you take that chance. But 
It never breaks down that way because the defense can move and the offense can't. So you have to adjust to what they're doing. And Clemson's just not going to put themselves in a position where you can leave those guys one-on-one against their two best offensive linemen. I truthfully think that's going to be the thing. That's going to be the matchup of the game. If And I don't think Isaiah Prince has to be perfect. I just think he has to play well enough where you don't notice him. Yeah, right, like Clemson's going to get pressure. They're second in the, in the sacks country. Sacks are going to happen. Like it just can't. You can't have eight. They had eight, yeah. and they had eight, and they still won. But I, I don't, yeah, we did uh, talk to JT Barrett. I was with JT the whole time he talked, um, and it did come up about getting the ball out more quickly. And I asked, like, knowing that like Christian Wilkins is coming, does that even amplify? If you think I want to be quicker getting it out, that you really got to get it out. And he, of course, said no. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, J- it's funny to talk to JT. You bring in this angle and that angle. And, well, you, did you think about – and JT is just, like, has blinders on and is just like, I'm just doing my job the best I can do it, and I'm not really thinking about a 100 different things. But – so he's not going to try to get rid of it more quickly because of Christian Wilkins. But I think he knows. He said it's 2.7 seconds. He said that's from film study, from looking what they have. He has to get it out in 2.7 seconds, and I think he does have a general awareness that some of the sacks he's taken and some of the times when the offense has not worked, it hasn't only been pass protection issues. It's him holding the ball. Yeah, someone tweeted out a thing, and I'm stealing this information. I forget who tweeted it out, but it was like, an examination of like JT Barrett's drop and like how his and this is a play where he had no pressure whatsoever, but the timing on his drop was off, so that when he threw the ball, the receiver wasn't yet where he was supposed to be because JT's drop was too quick, and it's like the mental clock and Barrett's head as it matches up with his steps and his drop back. So there's more to it than just protection. There have certainly been dropbacks this year where JT has been protected fine and has made like minute mistakes that end to or end up in incompletions. Just because the timing of the whole thing's off. How was he today? He was very like serious. Um, someone asked him at the end about like the, the whole thing of he's a very calm, serious guy when he talks to the media. Then Ohio State always puts out these clips of him being giving crazy speeches in the locker room, and he was saying like, you know, what do you, what do you all want me to do? He's like, take this bottle and throw it while I'm sitting here talking to you. He's like. Y'all aren't getting ready to play Clemson. Like, he doesn't have to fire us up, so he's not going to, like, get fired up. He's going to save it for when they need it. Um, so he, w- he was fine. You know, he said he's trying to enjoy it. Um, I, he really I, – I don't think it's going to be too big of a moment for him. I don't think he's particularly caught up in that he wasn't here two years ago and this is his chance. I mean, I think he really just does his job in the same old JT Barrett way, which is part of his success, which makes me want to get to – the most interesting thing that was said on Tuesday, which I was standing there for it, I asked Jadar Johnson, who is a first one of like four or five first team All ACC defensive players for Clemson. Um, he's a senior. He's a starter for the first time as a senior at safety. I just said, "What's your scouting report on JT Barrett?" And uh, he basically said he's not the best quarterback we've faced. He's not an accurate passer. He's more dangerous with his legs than he is with his arm. And it came across as bulletin board material. I hate bulletin board material. There's a story up on cleveland.com right now. You can read it. I think sometimes bulletin board material is accidental stuff that a guy doesn't really mean what he says. It just came out wrong. Jadar Johnson said the same thing twice. There were two different interview rooms. He said it to me, to my question, and then he left that room and went to talk to the TV people and said the exact same thing to a JT Barrett question. So this is what he thinks. This wasn't accidental. 
It wasn't the end of the world because it's true. But when you guys hear that, when you guys hear a Clemson safety say he's not that accurate of a passer and he's not the best quarterback we faced, what's the first thing you think when you hear a Clemson guy said that? I, that it's true. I don't like. I don't. I don't buy into the whole bulletin board material thing. I think the guy's being honest. I don't know, and I guess it's weird because players typically aren't honest when they're in those kind of. That's settings, what my first feeling was. I can't believe he said it because people don't say things like that ever. But it's not like he was lying, right? Can we drop in the audio? Do you think? If I have the audio, yeah, we can play it. Yeah. All right, we'll try to. Maybe you'll be hearing the audio right now. What's Sorry, your scouting report on JT Barrett? Uh, he's pretty good. You know, we definitely face quarterbacks better than him. Um, uh, I feel like if we can limit him on the ground with his running, that we'll be pretty good. You know, I don't think he's a very accurate passer. But like I said, I'm not taking anything away from him. He's definitely a good player. But, you know, I feel like his strong point is just, you know, on his leg. So if we can limit him with that, I feel like we can get him as a player. Okay, we'll see if that worked. But, uh, um, I thought it was interesting, and it, this is going to be one of those things. It is going to – like, it's going to work its way to JT Barrett. Of course it is. So is Urban Meyer going to use this? Even though it's true, even though by passer rating, which sort of takes into account yards per throw and completion percentage and total yards and everything, uh, JT Barrett is the sixth highest rated quarterback that Clemson has faced this year. I think he's 42nd in the country. They faced five guys with a higher passer rating. And the, the Heisman Pitt, Trophy winner. They faced right the Heisman Trophy winner and Lamar Jackson. The Pitt quarterback that beat Clemson <clears throat> in a 43-42 game is in the top 10. Nathan Peterman is in the top 10 in the country in passer rating. I literally didn't know who Pitt's quarterback was before I looked this up. Maybe I'm bad at my job. But, I mean, like, JT Barrett's not a great passer, right? Like, should Ohio State, like, be offended? By that, can you be offended by something even if it's true? Yeah. I mean, you can make yourself feel – yeah. It's the playoff, man. Urban, yeah. I. There might be a, a newspaper article – no one reads newspapers. <laughs> there might be an uh, internet article printed out on JT Barrett's pillow right now when he gets back to his hotel room to make sure that he saw that. He's seen I, it. I hope it's cleveland.com yeah, slash OSU. Cleveland.com slash OSU is, on, is in JT Barrett's hotel room right now. Yeah. We've personally seen Urban Meyer reading a cleveland.com story on his cell phone, so – Really? I know that his, his number one go-to Ohio State coverage. Was the book I breakfast? It was. Um, so I think it's I think it's weird. I think I think there's this weird thing that still exists. We've gone back and forth. I think we've we've covered we've run the gamut with JT Barrett this year. But I still think there is a general idea. He's a winner. He's a winner, he's a leader. This is not at all to disparage JT Barrett. But I think there is still a general idea that he is talked about and written about in a way that makes him better than he actually is. Like, I do feel like there are some reporters who are like, oh, I can't believe, like, who would think, ah, I can't believe he said that. Because there's still, JT Barrett is still viewed as like a great quarterback when I don't know if you're really breaking, especially if you're talking about the passing part of the of the game, is he really great? Unless I mean, it's possible people just think he's a product of, of poor protection and poor receiver play. They saw what he did in 2014. He's a starting quarterback on the third best team in the country. Some think it might it's the number two team in the country, whatever. Um, 
I don't think any of us think that, but I could see why people who were more on the outside and don't watch his team play every week and get to talk to the team every week would think that he is a great quarterback and one of the best quarterbacks in the country. I don't think that – I think he's a good – we did an hour-long podcast on JT Barrett where I think we all, or at least Doug and I, agreed that he's the right guy for Ohio State right now. But Did I disagree or something? You were riding the Braxton Miller train – we were like, like who's who's like the the perfect Urban Meyer quarterback, and you were very high on Braxton, and I think Doug and I were a little higher on JT. But is JT Barrett one of the ten best quarterbacks in the country right now? Off the top of my head, no. Is he one of the ten best quarterbacks in the country that would fit here? <clears throat> because something different, but yes, yeah. No to the first question. Yes to the second question. Yeah. Because I mean, again, and. and being a good quarterback doesn't mean what you are as an NFL draft prospect, you know. But it's like, what would happen if you put Pat Mahomes in this offense? Pat Mahomes who threw for 5,000 yards at Texas Tech and might be like a second-round pick in the NFL draft. Like, would he be terrible? He wouldn't be terrible here, would he? No, I think... He's like an athletic dude who can move around and throw it 90 yards. Like, I actually think uh, Pat Mahomes, who I've written about to some degree as a potential Browns draft choice, I actually think he's a little bit like Cardale. Um, but even maybe more nimble in the run game. But he can he's big, he's athletic, he can move, he has a huge arm. Like he'd work here, he'd be good here. I think it's it's a very quarterback friendly offense. I will say this. This current offense, as it's constructed now, I don't know how many guys could play for a team that's had the struggles it's had protecting and the struggles it's had with receivers getting open and still play the way that JT's played. I think it takes a special kind of makeup to sort of play through that and find a way to win. And JT clearly has that because he's done it. I don't know. I don't know. There might be a handful of guys in the country who have that part of it. You know how we've had this debate all year about whether Ohio State's a playoff team or they're actually a nine and three team until they made the playoff and then became a playoff team. Is it possible that JT Barrett is the reason why Ohio State's a playoff team? But while helping Ohio State reach this point in the season, he's the one who had to look like crap for it to happen. Hundred percent possible. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? Hundred percent possible that he is not one of the ten best quarterbacks in the country. And simultaneously, like the only quarterback in the country that could have gotten this team to the playoff. Because I think that there's a chance that that could be true. Um, the thing I don't understand is there were elements from his freshman year that we all watched where it was like, wow, this kid has it. And I mean, obviously, I can't erase that Michigan State game out of my head. And I can't explain, you know, a year after he's recovered from an injury that. He would either regress or not be as good or not be capable of playing that way. And maybe he's hasn't had the big stage to prove that again. But why wouldn't he be able to do that? Like, why is he no longer an accurate passer? Wasn't he accurate as a freshman? What's the difference? Why would you no longer be accurate anymore? I mean, I haven't. Right. I can't give my answer on that. I'm not allowed to. Why? Oh, because he gets, he gets yelled at for his thoughts on <laughs> positional coaching. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's the one thing that's changed from two. All years I know ago. is I can walk outside with the football in my hand and throw a dime twenty three yards, and I haven't thrown a football in an hour or in a, in a month since oh. I. Oh. Humble brag. <laughs> yeah, seriously, we going to the basketball court later. I'm, inexplic- or what? I'm inexplicably good at a lot of things, guys. No, no, <laughs> no. But you note. know what I mean? No, but seriously though, like, come on, why would he be able to be accurate, and then why would he be inaccurate? That's the one thing from a quarterback that I would anticipate would always remain constant. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I don't know why. Because 
It means you got worse if you're not as accurate, right? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, they played better teams this year. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like the, the hard thing and is the like... Team, and the players around him were better. Right. I mean, he doesn't have Devin Smith. But yeah. And he played Penn State's defense and Michigan's defense and Wisconsin's defense and some legit teams, you know? Like, so. accurate in 2014 means something different than what accurate in 2016 means. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. I, I don't want to skip this. We want to wrap this up. But give me the the... Whoever talked to Curtis Samuel the most was around him the most on Tuesday. Give me a 30-second synopsis of how Curtis Samuel seemed, what he talked about, what vibe you're getting from him specifically, not from Clemson defending him. How does Curtis Samuel seem getting ready for this game? I think this was the most willing Curtis Samuel has been to acknowledge the fact that he's very good. Um, We've asked him all year about it, Heisman stuff, which was kind of – Dumb because he was never a candidate, but just like his season was awesome, and we asked him about it all year, and he always sort of deflected, deflected, deflected. I think he's taken time to appreciate what he did and the time they've had off since they played Michigan. And today, when we talked to him, seemed much more like not cocky, but just sort of sure in his own abilities. Not that he wasn't before, but he was willing to project that. He was in his own. I, yeah, he was. He was. He was way more forthcoming than he's been all year about a, a, a whole litany of things. He said he he said his mom should have the. Uh, the picture of him uh, jumping with his arms spread after the Michigan touchdown, he said that should have been on top of their Christmas tree, um, but it wasn't. Could you imagine that being an ornament? <laughs> yeah. And it was on top of a Christmas tree, and it's like his leg was like the thing that was on the top of a Christmas yeah. tree. Not that I would know what it's like to have a Christmas tree, but that have his, <laughs> his arms spread open, that'd be a cool yeah. ornament. This is like the new, this is the new version of the Marcus Hall flipping the bird t-shirt. Right? Yeah. From, the, uh, from Wasserman Landis Co., Expect that Christmas ornament to be available for uh, direct mail. And the one thing I wanted to add about Samuel is I thought that Brett, Brett and Pat Venables was like, this is a guy unlike anybody I've seen in 10 years. And it was ironic because he compared him to Percy Harvin. Yeah. And then Bill and I looked at each other and laughed because everybody at Ohio State that's good is Percy Harvin, including their offensive lineman. But um, he was very like, we don't even have a guy like that. Right. Very, very, very complimentary of, of Curtis Samuel. And I think that they – they recognize that he poses a lot of problems, and when we had our friend Dan Hope on, who's a Clemson expert, he said that they have a hard time covering seam routes and guys out of the backfield and sometimes in the slot, so this could be an interesting X factor for Ohio State if they are smart enough to give them the ball enough. You know, the funny thing, though, is I know, and then Ben Bulware, the Clemson linebacker, was talking about that a little bit today. Ohio State... I'm trying to explain this. Curtis Samuel moves around the field. They don't actually use him that many different ways. Yeah. They use him three ways. They line him up in the slot and he runs a route. So he's just a slot receiver. A very, very good one, but he's just a slot receiver. They line him up in the backfield and hand him the ball. So then he's just a running back. And every now and then they line him up in the backfield and throw him a swing pass. But they are not, they have not made a lot of hay lining him up in the backfield and running routes down the field. Have they? No, I don't think he, yeah. I think if, he, if he's catching passes out of the backfield, it's a swing pass. And if he's start, or he's starting the backfield motioning into the slot, which is when they get those mismatches that they're looking for. He's not like running wheel routes out of the backfield. Yeah, and they they don't use him a ton in the jet sweep. They don't run the jet sweep very much. Right. They what they will do at times, and this is Ohio State's so big on this. Every offense is big on this. Is having multiple formations with the same personnel. 
So you'll see times when Curtis Samuel starts off at H in the slot, and then he'll motion into the backfield with Weber. And now all of a sudden you have two tailbacks, and maybe if you had a nickel defense in because you were trying to cover him in the slot, now maybe they're going to hand it to So they do do some of that, but they don't really – I mean, I don't know what I would want them to do. They're not tricking people with it. They're not – you know, like – so it's almost like he's two players, which yeah. I guess is what makes him hard to cover. But um, a lot of the time he's going li- to – I think he's going to line up in the slot and run a route, and it's like, can you cover him or not? Yeah, and I don't – I mean, Jordan Lewis had trouble covering him. He got open in Michigan game, and I think that from a getting open standpoint, it'd be harder to get open against Michigan than Clemson. Yeah. I think – I came away, like, thinking – and they should be. Like Ari said, like, Clemson is very worried about Curtis Samuel and, like, thinks – like, if he has a big game, they're going to lose. And I also got the vibe from Curtis Samuel that, like, he thinks he's going to have a big game and, like, he's ready to be a guy who touches the ball 20 times in the Fiesta Bowl. You writing a Curtis Samuel story? I am. That's a tasty tease there, Lando. All right. Golliby. Every day we're doing a podcast here from Phoenix. This is our Tuesday podcast. We're going to have one Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, Stories all week at cleveland.com slash OSU. If you have any questions, shoot us questions on Twitter, at Ari Wasserman, at Douglas Maurice, at Bill Landis 25. Uh, And that's going to do it. Thank you for listening. We're trying to keep these shorter since we're doing one every day. Um, The one we did when we got here Monday was sort of about coaches with it. Um, Talking about Urban Meyer, talking about Dabo Sweeney, um, breaking those guys down. Uh, On Wednesday, we will interview the Clemson offense, especially Deshaun Watson and Mike Williams, their star receiver, and the Ohio State defense, including Raekwon McMillan and Malik Hooker and those guys. So make sure you're back with us Wednesday to go through that. So for now, for Ari Wasserman, for Bill Landis, I'm Doug Lee Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.